0: Once again, welcome. In just a moment, Janet Feld will read um, the scripture passage on which the sermon will be based. I just want to introduce our guest pastor for today. Mark Wellman lives in Randolph, New Jersey. He's been a longtime PCA pastor, and he's well known to us because he's been very generously um, preaching here when Tony has been away this year. There have been many Sundays where that's happened, and Mark has always been a a blessing to us when he opens the word up for us. So Janet will read the scripture passage. Okay. The scripture passage is from Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray now that as we look at your word, you would show us the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to follow him, what it means to believe in him, and how it is we can trust in him. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. So... A couple weeks ago when I was getting ready to uh, to uh, prepare my message for this Sunday, I, I went and checked the church calendar online and I saw that there was a lunch after church. And so I was like, oh good, there's a lunch. And then I saw that it was a missions lunch. And I thought, well, that, that's even better. And so what I did, I, I decided to file the message I had prepared and prepare a, another message on, on the topic of missions. But before... I do that. Let me just explain to you. It's a missions fundraising lunch. That means that the purpose of the luncheon is to cover the cost of the food and support the missionary at the same time, okay? And so that means that all of you here, when you come to this lunch, you need to be prepared to uh, give as as God has led you. And let me lead you a little bit. You know, figure basically like like three times what you usually spend on lunch. And I know for some of you... For all of you, that's different. I mean, for some of you, a good lunch is like an extra-value meal at McDonald's. And so that's like $6, so you can maybe leave $20. But for some of you, you don't even know how much you spend on lunch because they're all covered by expense accounts. So you can make up for that on this missionary lunch. So I just hope all of you will give generously. And so I, I just wanted to take the opportunity of the missions lunch Sunday to, to say a few words about this. Uh, one of the things... Oh, that's been interesting to me you know if you read occasionally if you can stomach it and you force yourself and you read the new york times editorial page regularly there's a lot of criticism of believers of christians and a lot of the values that we hold near and dear but another thing that they've come to recognize and you see this you see this regularly now in in the uh on the editorial page is when you see people who are in desperate straits in America and other continents in Africa and China and other places like that, and then you see the people who are reaching out to help them sacrificially, who is it? Almost without exception, it's deeply committed believers. Have you noticed that? If you, and, and they don't point this out because they're so committed about, they're so concerned with Promoting the efforts of Christian missions, but because it's such a coercive fact, it's so obvious and so evident when you look at who's making a difference and who's doing good things in this world that they've got to recognize it. On uh, June 27th, Nicholas uh, Christoph's column was about a a guy named Dr. Tom Cantina, who's in Sudan, and he's the only doctor in this region of the Sudan with about a half Half a million people in it. He said, and uh, Christoph writes this: If you subscribe to the character of devout Christian believers as mostly sanctimonious hypocrites, the kind who rake in cash and care only about human life when it is unborn, you should come visit the doctor here, Doctor Tom from Amsterdam, New York, is the only doctor in the Mother of Mercy Hospital, nestled in the Nubia Mountains in the far south of Sudan. He's the only doctor permanently based in this area for a population of more than half a million people. Then it goes on to describe this guy who's an American medical doctor who's essentially working for nothing and living like an African so he can help these people in this very deeply impoverished area of the world that and a very marginalized group of people. And the fact is that A large portion, a significant portion of all the good that's done in this world for the, the poorest of the poor and for the most hurting of the most hurting is done by people who are followers of our Lord Jesus Christ because there's something unique to the Christian faith that is not replicated by the other great faiths in the world and that can't be and that can't be duplicated by people without faith that drives us to serve and drives us to help. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today. Because, you know, you, you talk to virtuous secularists and they'll say, yes, we should help those who are in need. You, you know, in Islam and in, in other faiths, there is this idea or this principle that you should help those in need. But for Christianity, it's not just an idea or a principle. It's the core of the structure of our faith. It's the heart of our faith because, first and foremost, we follow a God who became a missionary and came to rescue us. So I want to, uh, Philippians 2, which we're looking at today, is one of the passages that, that most clearly illustrates that. First of all, I want to talk about the call to service. He says, your attitude, Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that Of Jesus Christ. It's not just about a rule of faith that we follow, one rule among many, but it's the whole structure of our faith, having an attitude that's like the attitude of Christ. What was the attitude of Christ? He was in very nature God, but he didn't hold on to his equality with God. Instead, he laid it aside and became a man. But as Philippians 2 says, he didn't just become a man among men. He he became a man who was a servant of men. And he didn't just become a servant of men, but then he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. The whole story of God, the whole story of the gospel is about God becoming man, about a king becoming a servant, about one who was wealthy becoming poor, about the immortal one who was willing to die to give us life. And that's the heart of our faith. Our founder is the model of a life of grace and a life of generosity, a life of missions. And this is important to highlight. One of the things that I've noticed in in my work in the church over the years is that when you ask people about their church, one of the things that people are most proud of generally is the things that their church is doing for those in need for the way the church is helping those who are most desperate. You know, because sometimes the theological subtleties are lost on people, and you know the programs, you know, don't really compare. Perhaps the programs in other in other venues and and uh, other things like that. But but the the way the people in the church are helping. A single mother. The way the people in the church are helping provide clean water for the poor in Africa. The way the people in the church are helping with a hospital in South America. Things like that are the things that captivate. I've I found the minds of of uh, the, the the congregation, and things that we become the, become the things that we're most proud to talk about, and. In the same way, it's also the thing that's most impressive to those on the outside. It's the thing that's, in a sense, inexplicable to those on the outside looking in is how Christians are able to show their love to others. This article in the New York Times, at the end, Christoph talks about a conversation he had with a Muslim chief there in South Somalia about Dr. Tom and the the prominent... Muslim chief named Hussein Kapari offered this unusual tribute. He said of the doctor there, he's Jesus Christ. Uh, pardon? The chief explained that Jesus healed the sick, made the blind see, and helped the lame walk, and that's what Dr. Tom does every day. And then... He concludes, the editorialist concludes, you don't need to be a conservative Catholic or an evangelical Christian to celebrate that kind of selflessness. You just have to be human. So it's one of the strengths of our faiths. It's one of the powers of the faith. It's some, a motivation and a drive that we have that can't be, that isn't matched by other faiths when we reach out to our fellow humans, to help them, to serve them in the name of Christ. And and it, and it's also a way that our faith becomes real to us. You know, it, it's great when someone in the church decides to go overseas and do a missions project for a month or a year for a lifetime, but it's something that all of us can do in our own ways, you know, for your neighbors, for the people across the street, for the people across town who are in need. And when you do that, you'll see power released. When you do that, other people will notice that God is at work in your church, and people will see the impact that you're having. So the call that God places on us is to have the same attitude as Christ, who laid aside his status as God laid aside his residency in heaven and came and lived and died for us. But the cross isn't just an example. First and foremost, the cross is the source of our salvation. The gospel, our theology, is a missionary story. It's about God coming on a mission to redeem and rescue me and you. Before you can go on a mission on Christ's behalf, you need to be a recipient of a mission that Christ made for you. And to be a Christian by definition means you're a recipient of generosity, you're a recipient of grace, and you're dependent on the charity of our generous God. He has to come and save us before we can reach out and help anybody else. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. The cross is the central symbol of, Of our faith. But what does the cross tell us? The cross tells us we were so broken and so guilty and so flawed that we couldn't redeem ourselves. We needed God to come down to redeem us. But then at the same time, the cross tells us that we're so loved and God is so committed to us that He was willing to send His Son to lay down his life to save us. And if, if we believe that about ourselves, and if we recognize that about ourselves, and as we recognize that about ourselves, then our generosity, then our service, then our sacrifice for others becomes a natural thing because of what God has already done for us. You know, the Christian life is summed up this way. We love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. We give ourselves to others because he gave himself for us. And that doesn't put us in a position where we can presume that he owes us anything. That just puts us in a position where we're living in light of his generosity to us already. You know, Christian life is all about affirming that it's not my obedience that saves me but as philippians 2 says my salvation my hope is comes from the fact that he was obedient to death even death on a cross it's not my sacrifice for god that saves me whether i'm you know living in northern new jersey or moving to uh, southern sudan to to help people it's the fact that He sacrificed his life for me, and I rest in that, and I trust in that, and I believe in that, and I believe that nothing short of that could give me hope, and that enables me to step out. You know, I think what happens, it's remarkable, I've noticed, on the mission trips I've participated in, is as you step out to serve others, as you step out to make yourself uncomfortable in order to relieve others, as you give to others, as you sacrifice for others, power is released. And one of the ways I've experienced this in my life is over the last eight years, I've gone on a summer mission trip to the Dominican Republic, and I've always brought my kids and, and other kids from various churches. And and we go on these mission trips, and, and they're actually pretty hard. And we ask these kids to do things that they would never do in their normal life. They go to bed early, they get up early, and then they spend most of the day breaking rocks and moving dirt and and, uh, building building these these small buildings by hand. And, you know, they they live without Wi-Fi for two weeks. Can you imagine doing that to teenagers today? And then in addition to that, we make the girls wear skirts and T-shirts and hiking boots. Can you imagine these girls dressing like that and walking down the, the you know the the streets of New York today but but they're all glad to do it and they have this they have a great time because they're outside of their, themselves and they're helping people who have almost nothing and working together and they're doing it in the name of Christ because when we step out and do missions power is released and And that power comes from the fact that we're following in the example and the model and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we feel the price of giving sacrificially to support missions, when we feel the price of giving of our time to help someone in need, when we feel the price even of seeing someone from our church step out in faith, All of those things serve to remind us of the fact that our hope as Christians, our hope as believers comes from the fact that Jesus gave himself for us. Jesus left heaven and came to earth for us. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. And we receive that first and that frees us up, frees us up to help others. But... Having said that, there's one more thing that's important here in the first couple verses of uh, Philippians chapter 2 where he says there's a condition. This isn't for everybody. Not everybody can step out and sacrifice and serve others. Not everybody's in a position yet where they're able to give of themselves for others because not everybody has yet existentially and personally and spiritually applied this to their own hearts. See, it's not enough to know this intellectually. It's not enough to know this theoretically. It's not enough to want to follow the rule. Something has to happen in your life, in your heart. The way Paul says it is, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit and tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. He's saying you need an experience of God's grace. You need an experience of God's power, a life-changing experience. So much so that you, know, your life has been changed by your experience of union with Christ. The fact that you're united with Christ changes the way you see your life. So much so that your life has been transformed by the fact that you've been comforted by His love. So much so that all the earthly loves fade in significance, and his love for you becomes the thing that redefines your life. So much so that you're in fellowship with the spirit, you're filled with his spirit, and that has transformed your perspective on everything. Because here's the thing you've got to keep in mind. Doing missions is hard, and going on trips is hard, and helping out the neighbor, the old lady on your street who needs a little bit of help with her home is hard, you know. Helping out uh, kids from the inner city in a summer camp is hard. All these things are hard because you, you, you serve and you go and sometimes you wonder, does anybody really appreciate this? Is this really making a difference? Can I really manage this? Can I really handle this this much work? Or am I just exhausting myself for nothing and do the people I'm working with even like me? You know, you go through those things. You feel those questions. You you struggle with those, those issues. It's all hard. And if you're doing it because you want those people to like you, if you're doing it because you want to be appreciated, if you're doing it because you need to be compensated for it, then you're going to be frustrated. Then you're going to say, this really wasn't worth it. And that's why, first and foremost the prerequisite to a life of service, the prerequisite to stepping out, the prerequisite even to supporting missions is coming to this place where you find your encouragement from your union with Christ, where you find your comfort from His love for you. And your reference point is not the people around you, not the people you're working with, not the people you're trying to help, but your reference point is responding to what He has done for you. And you know that he has given you enough to make all of your sacrifices worth it. You know that he is committed enough to you and loves you enough that 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 relationship is worth serving and worth sacrificing for. Because if you don't have that, then you can't do it. If you don't have that, then if you try to do it, it will end up being a negative experience rather than a positive experience but if you do have that when it gets hard and when you find yourself in conflict or when you're wondering if it's worth it or if you're wondering you're wondering if you're appreciated you don't look to the people around you you look up to him and you're renewed in your experience of his comfort you're renewed in your experience of his love you re- you realize what his sacrifice for you must have felt like as you're sacrificing for someone else, you realize how much his love for you must mean when you're trying to love somebody who's not really acting lovable towards you. So missions is hard. Sacrificing is hard. Don't do it until you get to this place where you've found your encouragement in him, where you've found your comfort from his love, and you're in that fellowship with the Spirit. But as you do it, you'll be reminded of this. As you do it, even in the hard times, even in the difficult times, you'll be reminded of his grace towards you. Because there's a flip side to this. You know, I've got a friend who lives in St. Louis and, and he wanted to... Do something for someone else, his kids are all out of the house, so he thought he he 'd start tutoring inner city kids he 's a he 's a an engineer, so he thought he'd he 'd help some some kids in one of the after school programs with their math homework and things like that but uh, he 's a deeply committed Christian, and so you know helping with math homework ended up help talking about life and ended up getting involved in the kid 's life and he was telling me how how involved he's getting in this this particular little boy who he's trying to help who he thinks has a lot of potential but a lot of things going against him and and I was just listening to a story and I'm like bro prepare to have your heart broken because here you are giving giving your time giving your energy giving your effort to this to this poor kid and uh, you know when you do things like that You've just got to be ready for it just not to work out. And yet, he's giving himself. And that's the case of all missions. If you're not willing to let your heart be broken, if you're not willing to be disappointed, then you can't do it. But if you're doing it because Jesus' heart was broken for you, if you're doing it because you know he came to rescue you and to redeem you, then... You can prepare to let your heart be broken. You can take a risk that all that you give is not going to be accepted, not going to be appreciated, and is going to feel like a waste. In fact, the rest of the world looks at the sacrifices that devoted Christians make, looks at the work of Christian missions, and says, that is kind of a waste, I would never do that, until they're like, that's amazing that a medical doctor from New York would live in Sudan and serve these people who are never going to be able to pay them and never going to be able to do anything for them, Because, see, for all the reasons it's not worth it are all the reasons that it's ultimately worth it, because through that, we're reminded of the sacrifice of Christ for us. See, helping others, serving others, sacrificing for others, giving to others, going to share the gospel with others, is not something we do for them. It's something we do ultimately because of all that Jesus has done for us. And especially in the difficulties, especially in the challenges, especially in the midst of pain and loss, we're driven back to the grace of Christ. And we're reminded, he loved me so that I can love others. He was a king who became a servant so I can serve others. He sacrificed his life for me. What is it for me to give some of my time and energy for others? And his grace becomes more real to us. His grace becomes more powerful to us. His grace becomes more glorious to us. And as it does, other people see it too. God, as a result of all this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that is Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus the very first missionary, I thank you that he came to save us when we were so broken and so guilty and so helpless that we couldn't save ourselves. Help us to live lives that reflect his grace and love to the watching world, we pray. Amen.